You're listening to a podcast from Jubilee Church, Farnham. To find out more, visit www.jubilee.church. Turn to the book of Romans. But before we get there, I want to set up why we are going there. Because I said, we're kicking off our 2020 preaching program with a series this morning that's entitled, What Is? And over the next eight weeks or so, we're going to look at some of the core beliefs and truths of our faith. And the first step on that journey, the very first thing we're going to focus on is the gospel. What is the gospel? And before some of you kind of check out saying, I know what the gospel is, let me tell you why we need to do this this morning. You see, we need to look at the gospel over and over and over again because we're really good at forgetting it. We really are. You, me, the person next to you, we are so accomplished at forgetting it. Some of us are experts. But why does this happen? Why do we forget what the gospel is? You see, a big part of it is that every single day, every single one of us is being discipled by the world. Every single TV show, every single movie, every single advert, every single newspaper article is saying one thing to you. And it's saying, your life is miserable. You're not happy. Your life is missing something. You see, because we have these ads, don't we? They're they're all over the TV. They're all over the internet. They're probably all over your Instagram feed and Facebook feed. It's this kind of super handsome, chiseled jaw guy sitting there with his beautiful girlfriend, supermodel girlfriend. They're looking over Lake Geneva in this boutique hotel. It's wonderful. And they're trying to sell you a coffee machine. And here's what we do, almost without thinking it. See, the advert says, your life stinks. You're not this super handsome guy. You're not sitting in the boutique hotel looking over Lake Geneva. You need coffee. (laughs) And what we do is go, oh my gosh. That's true. I do need coffee. Something's really missing here. I need coffee. My life will be just so much better with good coffee. Now, I know there's a truth in this. (laughs) I, more than anyone, can understand this line of attack. But we need to see through it. So I want us this morning to be as clear as possible about the gospel. Because the other thing that can happen is that we can get into a way of thinking where the gospel is simply a moral message. And what I mean by that is, over this side, we have a box. And these are where all the good things are. These are the good and the right things to do. And so this is the box over here. And then over this side, we've got the bad box. And the box that we're not meant to do. And what we do was we end up trying as hard as we possibly can to do the things in the good box whilst trying just as hard not to do the things in the bad box. And if our lives come down to this, 
If our lives are simply do the good box and try really hard not to do the bad box, we're going to miss it completely. Because our lives, the lives that we live in and around our family and our work colleagues and school friends and college friends and uni friends and family, our lives are the loudest message we preach. And if we're stuck over here and we're trying as hard as possible to do the good box, and what happens is that we're like, well, really, we stink at being good. We try as hard as possible to do the good box. But then what happens is that we can just get self-righteous. We can have a good run, maybe a week or two. It's a good run at being good. And then what happens is that we mess up, we fail. And so then the enemy comes in and just lays this weight of guilt and condemnation and shame on you. And so you just sort of fall into this, oh, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. And then everyone's looking at your life and they're kind of going... Man, that dude is stressed. He needs to chill out. All he does is try and be good. And when he's good, he tells me about when he's good. And then when he's bad, he's just like stresses out. What? He just needs to relax. And that's the danger when we get into this moral message of life. It's a slippery slope. See, I don't know what your thing is. Is your thing, maybe it's a Netflix series, or maybe it's the Marvel Universe or Star Wars. But you know how you get when the next installment is coming out. You turn into a crazy person, right? I mean, if Netflix is your thing and the next season is coming out, you are amped, right? I mean, you are looking forward to it. And you're like, okay, let's set this up. Right, get the popcorn on. Let's get the Coke out. We'll have a drink. You know, midway through the second series, midway through the second episode, you're there, you're getting a little bit frenzied, you're getting a little bit nervous, right? Get the Ben and Jerry's, we're stress eating all the way here, it's all good. It's past bedtime, it's way past bedtime. But that cliffhanger that they finished on, no ways, I have to know what's going to happen next. Come on. You know, now it's 2am, there's only another hour and a half episode to go. We are locked into this. The kids have to be fed and watered and looked after tomorrow, but that is to the wind. It's a duvet day tomorrow. Kids are raining the house. Let's finish this. A crazy person, right? <laughs> and whilst we can do without the stress eating and without the misadventure, that same passion, that same hunger for more is what I want to encourage us this morning. You see, Netflix, Star Wars, whatever, it's just a distraction. We get so excited about the next season, the next installment, the next... And yet, it's just puff. It's smoke and mirrors. Whereas the gospel is the real deal. The gospel is the true story. The gospel is the ultimate adventure. And with that in mind... I want to lay out a four-stage epic to help us understand but also remember the gospel and what it is. So episode one, are you ready? Bum, bum, bum. Episode one, creation and the righteous king. See, I'm not sure how well you know your Bible, but in Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation account. And in there, we see that God made everything. God spoke 
And it started to happen. The mountains, the valleys, the animals, the fish, birds, reptiles, everything, stars, moons, galaxies, universe, it all came into being through his spoken word and out of nothing. That's amazing, right? Out of nothing. He spoke. See, I don't know if you've ever stood on the edge of a mountain range or perhaps looked over the ocean or a canyon and you've just been awed at what you've seen. So I remember when I was living in South Africa and I was trying to convince Lindy that I was quite a catch. And uh, we went, a bunch of us went up for a hike in what's called the Drakensberg Mountains. And our goal in this hike was to reach the highest peak in southern Africa. It's really a little pimple on top of the rest of the berg that stands, but it's the peak and it's the highest point. It's called Tabla Entliana. And the first part of the hike is that you go up, we actually took a car up, uh, and got, got, got um, uh, into Lesotho, and there's a wonderful hostel, there's a little, little place where people stay for their first night. And I remember it so clearly, it's got this wonderful sign uh, as you walk in, it says the highest pub in Africa. A great place to stay. And then straight out from this hostel, where you kind of get ready, grab your bunk and everything, you can go straight out to the escarpment. And you can look up and down the berg. And it's just breathtaking. It's awesome. It's just as far as the eye can see. And <clears throat> to give you all the insight into the mind of a young man on the prowl, So there I was, it was sun, sun was beginning to go down, and uh, it was getting a little bit chilly, you're up high, so I put jersey on, went out to the escarpment by myself, I thought I had a cunning plan, that I'd look, be standing on the escarpment, <laughs> the wind would be blowing through my hair, and Lindy would come alongside, a bit cold, perfect time for a cuddle. And then, you know, everything else would just be wonderful after that point. <laughs> of course, she never came out. <laughs> I stood there for half an hour. I was frozen. My hair looked like it had been, you know, lightning bolts. Just, you know, the wind was going everywhere. Oh, the mind of a young man. But you look down in that half an hour where I was looking. <laughs> you look down into South Africa... And it's awe-inspiring. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which had been made. So you stand on the edge of that escarpment or wherever. You have probably your own place. And you quickly realize how small you are and how big this un universe, this planet feels. And then you think, how big is he? His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. But the claims of Genesis 1 and 2 are not that he just created all of this, as wonderful and majestic and awesome as that is, but he also created you. So you're not a result of random chance or genetic mutations or gene reassortments or chromosomal accidents. You are created. Every one of us is the result of an idea, a plan, and an action of God himself. 
And that brings both meaning and responsibility into our lives. And in all of that, however, we are not autonomous. As Chrissy came up here and spoke about that authority, that we are under authority. And the blessing of that is, but we are under that authority. See, we are created. You have a maker and you are his. And it's a key part to understanding the gospel. And it's a kicker for our culture. It doesn't sit well at at all. Because in this world, in our culture, the individual has this right and that right, but no one has the right to tell you what to do. And in contrast to that, the Bible says that God is king and creator, and you are creature. And not only is God creator and king, he's also holy and righteous. And in the current atmosphere that we've grown up, particularly in the Christian circles, we sometimes don't hear that much about God as being holy and righteous. And we're currently in a season where we hear much more that God is good. God is a loving Father and God is a provider. Now that is absolutely true, 100% true. But if that's all we hear and if that's all that we've grown up with, then it's an incomplete picture. Because God is holy and righteous and creator. And because he is perfectly righteous and perfectly just, he will deal with all evil. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says this, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. See, if we're going to understand how good and glorious the good news is, we have to understand that this loving and compassionate God is holy and righteous and that he is determined to never overlook, ignore or tolerate sin. And you see, deep down, we do really want a God who cares about justice and righteousness and who is just. Because when the innocent are wronged, our voices are loud in crying out for justice and the appropriate punishment. It's just that our voices go a little quieter when it's our wrong and my sin and my punishment. And so that leads me to episode two. Episode two, sin entered and humankind fell. See, when God created humans, his intention was that we would live in perfect harmony with him, perfect relationship with the Father, worshipping him under his authority and in obedience to him. God gave us a mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish and the birds and the seas and the animals. However, our rule over creation was not ultimate. Adam and Eve's authority was not their own. It was given to them. It was God's. So Adam and Eve were to exercise dominion over the world, but they needed to remember that they were still subjects to God and his rule. You see, even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you've read the first chapters of Genesis and the creation account there, it was placed right in the center of the garden. And it should have been a reminder of this fact. When Adam and Eve looked at that tree, they should have been reminded that they, their authority was limited and that they were under God's rule. They were stewards, he was king. And when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit, 
They weren't just violating some sort of arbitrary little rule. Don't eat the fruit. No, so much more than that. They were rejecting God's authority and choosing their own independence. Adam and Eve, at that point, believed the lie of the serpent and his false promise that you can be like God. They, simply, they thought they could simply reach out and take the crown for themselves. And yet the only thing, the one thing that God had not placed under Adam's feet was God himself. But Adam thought this wasn't good enough. And you see, the worst thing of it all, in disobeying God, they made a decision to reject him as their king. And they knew there would be consequences. The Bible is absolutely clear. God was 100% clear with them. If you do this, you shall surely die. And so above all else, what this means is that they were cast out from his presence and became his enemies rather than his friends and joyful subjects. You see, Adam and Eve traded in the very presence and relationship with God to pursue their own pleasure and their own glory. And the Bible calls this sin. The word literally means missing the mark. But the biblical meaning of sin is so much deeper than that. It's not like they sort of lined up their bow and arrow and they just missed the bullseye by an inch or two. They literally turned in the wrong direction and shot opposite to God's desires and intent. And they sinned. See, the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin was disastrous for them, their descendants, for us and the rest of creation. And they didn't physically die straight away. Their bodies continued to live. Their lungs breathed. Their hearts beat and their limbs moved. But their spiritual life at that point was broken. Their fellowship with God was broken. Their hearts shriveled. Their minds filled up with selfish thoughts and their eyes darkened to the beauty of God. You see, that part of the story is not good news. It's bad news. It's utterly bad news. And yet, unless we understand that part of the story, we don't appreciate the good news and how good it really is. You see... The bad news is that it's an ultimate betrayal, the ultimate broken relationship. It's where the entire floor falls out from underneath you. And it's realizing that it's because of me and because of you. See, Adam and Eve, they were the ones who sinned first and that affected everything since then. But today, in your life and in my life, our sin is our responsibility. We know that. And Paul states it like this in Romans 1 from verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. In unrighteousness, sorry. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. So Paul's saying here that the world, the creation, everything that he's made shows us all, whether we know God or don't know God, something of his majesty, something of who he is as creator, of who he is as God. So no one 
is without doubt. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. It is bad news. And it leads me to the next episode. Episode three, the Son of God becomes flesh. See, thank God that the bad news of human sin and God's judgment is not the end of the story. Imagine if the Bible just stopped there. What would that be like? Paul's declaration that the whole world will stand silence before the judgment throne of God and that it would be no hope. The end. There would only be despair. It would be like the Thanos snap. But not just for half the population. All of us, done and dusted. See, I thought about calling episode three a new hope but that would have been tacky, and that's been done before. And yet, God provided hope right there, right back at the beginning, and some good news in the midst of despair. He says in Genesis 3.15, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Not much, just a glimmer, but a little bit like you knew that at the end of Infinity Wars, the end game was coming. You knew it wasn't the end of the story. God gives a glimmer of hope. See, God wanted Adam and Eve, even though they were rebellious and had rejected him, that the story wasn't over. There was some gospel right there. And the rest of the Bible is really this grand narrative of how God made it right, is making it right, and will continue and finally make it right in the second coming. But you see, this was no fat Thor or Dr. Strange, who was coming to save the day. This is Jesus Christ. All of what's been said about him, Jesus' birth to a virgin, the title, Son of God, John's assertion that the Word was God, together with the announcement that the Word became flesh, is meant to teach us something about Jesus. To put it simply, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. 100% human, 100% God. And this is also crucial to understanding the gospel. For it's only the fully man, fully human, fully divine Son of God who can save us. You see, if he was just another human, if he was just another man, he could not have saved us. It'd be as good as one dead man trying to save another dead man. But because he is the Son of God, because he is 100% God, without sin and equal and every divine perfection to the Father, he is able to defeat death and save us from our sins. And in the same way, because he is fully human, he is able to represent us before God exactly as we need to be represented. 
Hebrews 4 verse 15 says he is able to sympathise with our weaknesses because he in every respect was tempted just as we were, yet without sin. See, Jesus is unique in who he is and he's unique in his message that he proclaimed. He said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. See, King Jesus preached and started a kingdom, but it wasn't at all what the Jews thought the kingdom would look like. They were looking for a political kingdom to overthrow the ruling powers of Rome at the time. But when we read scriptures, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went around preaching and teaching and healing the sick and throwing out demons and doing miracles. And that's really good news. But the question is, how do we get it? It's only good news if we're able to access it. Otherwise, it becomes a message over there which I can't touch. And that brings us back to our particular problem around sin. Unless something happens to remove our guilt of disobedience and rebellion against God, we are still separated from Him. And this is where the good news gets really, really good. See, King Jesus didn't just come to start the kingdom, but he also came to buy the ticket price for sinners to come into the kingdom. He was, through his death and resurrection, going to bring sinners into the kingdom. And Jesus knew from the very beginning that he was on a mission to die and save people from their sins. Paul put it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. And as he hung on the cross of Calvary, Jesus bore the full weight of the sin of God's people. All of our rebellion, all of our disobedience, all of our sin fell on his shoulders. And this is where we need to see the significance of what's happening there. Because ultimately it means that I'm the one who should have died, not Jesus. He took your place. He died for you. There were, they were my transgressions, but his wounds. Your sin and his sorrow. And his punishment brought my peace. His stripes won your healing. His grief, my joy. His death, your life. And of course, this only makes sense. All of this only makes sense and is true and is really good news because King Jesus, the crucified one, is risen. He is no longer dead. He rose from the grave. You see, if Christ was just another saviour or teacher or prophet, and they were like a dime a dozen back then in his time, his death would have meant nothing. Every claim that he made, every statement and every promise would have just sunk down into the darkness of his death and it would have just disappeared. But when breath entered his life and humanity would, sorry, entered his life and then Jesus, everything that Jesus claimed, everything that he promised, everything that he said was true, was vindicated. He is true and he is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans 8 verse 34, put it this way. 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So he's gone to the cross, he's paid the price for our sin. He then died three days, then rose again, and now is ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is praying for us right there. What an amazing thought. And that leads me to episode four, the year of new life. See, Jesus began his ministry by saying in Mark 1 verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That command, repent and believe, is what God requires of us in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, throughout the whole of the New Testament, that's what the apostles called us to do. Peter said in Acts 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Paul in Acts 20 said, I've declared to both Jew and Gentile that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Faith and repentance. That's what marks out a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, a Christian is one who turns from his sin and trusts in the Lord Jesus and nothing else to save him from his sin and the coming judgment. You see, faith has been one of those words that's just been used so often and misused so many times. We kind of lose what it means. And if you just ask someone in the street, what does faith mean? They'll probably tell you something like, well, it's trying hard to believe in the ridiculous without any evidence. It's a charade. It's a fun and somewhat comforting game that if you want to get involved with that, you can. The mystics, they do stones and crystals. Some people do fairies. Some people do nature and Christians, they do Jesus. But reading through the Bible and looking at what the Scriptures say, faith is nothing like that. Faith is not believing in something you cannot prove. Biblically speaking, faith is much more like reliance, a rock-solid trust in the risen Jesus to save you from your sin. And today, this morning... The gospel proclaims the same message. To put our faith in Jesus, rely on Him, to trust only in Him to do what He has promised to do. Maybe it's best to think of it like this. We trust Jesus to save us and we become united with Him and a magnificent exchange takes place. All of our sin and rebellion and disobedience gets exchanged, put on him, and he paid for it on the cross. He died on the cross to pay for all of my sin and disobedience and all of your sin and your disobedience. And that's part of the exchange. The other half of the exchange is that then he gives us his perfect righteousness, his perfect standing before God. You see, that's what Paul meant when he writes in Romans 4 that God counts righteousness as apart from our own works and that our sins are covered. It's just nothing to do with what we offer, but it's all about what Christ has done. God saves us by pure grace, nothing else, and particularly nothing that we have done. 
And when you realize how dependent you are on Jesus for your salvation, his death for your sin, his life for your righteousness, you understand why the Bible is so insistent that it's by grace alone. There is no other way, no other Savior, and no one else in the world by which you are saved. And most of all, not by your actions. Because you see, we are a self-reliant people, aren't we? We're convinced of our own self-sufficiency and we resent any insinuation that we are what we are because of someone else. Put it this way. Imagine if you were put in a job or people started to say about your job or anything else that you really care and value for and they said, you didn't earn this. You're not in this job because you earned it or you're qualified. You're here because someone else gave it to you. Doesn't that begin to bring something up in us when you think about that? See, we're really self-reliant and we forget the gospel. We forget that it's entirely by His grace. Imagine that, you in your job. You're not in your job because you've earned it, because you've qualified, because you've studied, because you've done any of that. It's because someone else has given it to you. But in one sense, we feel funny about that because everyone else there, now heads are immediately saying, yeah, but everyone else is there because they deserve it. I'd be a fraud. I am there because I earned it. I know I did. I studied this. I did that. And yet when we think of heaven, when we think of joining God's people... It's completely the other way around because everyone there is there because of a gift of grace. Moses, Paul, the beloved John, all of the prophets, all of the superheroes of faith. Hebrews 11, they're all there because of a gift. And yet sometimes we get into the thought process that, oh no, I'm doing good here. I've earned something. I've earned my way there. And yet it's all a gift of grace. And I wonder, do you find yourself trusting in your good works? You see, faith, part of faith is admitting that we are insufficient. And trust, we need to trust God alone. So do you find yourself trusting in the goodness of your heart? Faith acknowledges that our heart is not good and it's only through trusting Christ alone. John put it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. My question to all of us this morning is do we have that eternal life? Do we have the eternal life? Maybe you've been leaning too much on your own understanding, believing less in faith of the gift that's been given in Christ Jesus, and maybe thinking more, well, God will love a future tidied up version of me. Not quite yet, but when I'm just a little bit better. Maybe for some of us in this room, you're just bored. You made a commitment to Jesus and for whatever reason you've been in the stands looking on but not in the game. And if that's you, then 
God wanted you to hear the gospel this morning. You see, it's the year of new life, and whether you're entering that new life for the first time this morning, or you need a refreshing and a renewal of that new life, God wanted you to hear the gospel preached this morning. 